Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Dean, great to see you once again. I understand that the topic today that you're going to be highlighting is from a request from one of our loyal podcast listeners. Yeah, that's correct, Len. We're truly uh, uh, excited and and respect the, the feedback that they provided. Uh, this helps us bring key topics, as we've always said, um, and uh, those things that are important uh, to our audience. Well, I agree. And I just want to share that our podcast appears to be working. We've seen about a 40% increase over the last year. So we are pleased uh, that we have seemed to be providing something of great interest on key topics to our listeners. And I will reiterate right here at the beginning of this podcast, we encourage our listeners to contact us about topics that you'd like us to address in future podcasts. Yeah, and that's that's uh, just tremendous growth. 40% increase over last year is just uh, significant. And uh, uh, it's been such a, such a joy. So here we go. So let's jump into today's topic. And uh, uh, again, this came from one of our listeners, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. But today we're talking about electronic funds transfers and the use of uh, cash applications such as uh, Venmo, Apple Pay, Zelle, Cash App, Square Up, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Great topic, Dean. I'm, I'm personally interested in it myself, and I'm glad that it came in from one of our loyal listeners. Let's hear you elaborate on this interesting topic of EFTS. Yeah. Sure, Lenny. Yeah. So, okay. So, back in 2021, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau actually updated uh, what we call Reg E FAQs to address person to person and peer to peer payments uh, in payment providers and how they relate to uh, Reg E. Uh, I do want to note that while the FAQs provide useful guidance and clarity, nothing has actually changed within the regulations themselves. So, it's important that uh, folks understand that, that this is merely guidance and, and and, uh, and, and answers what those frequently asked questions typically are. So the new FAQs clarify um, in the transaction section that P2P uh, payments uh, can be considered EFTs under EFT Regulation E. This section makes clear that the P2P payments uh, that use a consumer's debit card to transfer funds, uh, credit push P2P, to P, I have to say that five times fast, Lane. <laughs> uh, payments <laughs> that transfer funds out of a consumer's deposit, prepare uh, or mobile account, and P2P debit card pass through payments are all considered EFTs, which are subject to Reggie provisions. So, how many packs of pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? <laughs> 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 Dean, you know, I'm no youngster anymore. I grew up before there were computers. Uh, uh, and so uh, all these apps, uh, my grandchildren can run circles around me on. Uh, it definitely is a generational thing. <laughs> oh, geez, I agree, Len. I have gray hair. I guess I'm lucky I have hair, I guess is the way to put it. But yeah, it's definitely a generational thing. Um, I remember the first time one of my kids said, 
uh, they'll just Venmo me the money. And I looked at them <laughs> like a deer in headlights. What the hell are you talking about? Venmo. Mm. Uh, but I had no idea what, what Venmo was. So you can imagine it's difficult for some of us older folk to uh, understand the features of the service and what happens if it doesn't work or work uh, exactly as it's designed or intended. So uh, the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, EFTA, and Reg E establish rules for uh, those types of uh, electronic fund transfers involving consumers and governs the transfers by mobile phone apps like the ones I've highlighted earlier. The ground rules, the regulatory provisions, liabilities, and the rights of consumers who use these apps are actually set out in EFTA and is implementing rule or regulation, Reg E. Those are the, uh, I always talk about the letter regulation, so um, mm. it does fall under Reg E. They defined uh, EFT as any transaction initiated through an electronic terminal, telephone, computer, including your online banking, or magnetic tape that instructs the financial institution either to credit or debit a consumer's account. Hmm. Okay. So what are the protections provided by Reg E, Dean? Yeah. A great question, Len, because they are very, you know, strict as far as the timeframes that are allotted to investigate a particular uh, a dispute or issue relative to an EFT transaction. So um, as always, you're always asking the right questions. But before I jump into the specifics, let me first revisit the definition um, of, of EFT, because again, I, I believe that's very important. They define an EFT as any transaction initiated through an electronic terminal, telephone computer, including your online banking or magnetic tape that instructs a financial institution either to credit or debit the consumer's account. So if the dispute is for any other reason other than the unauthorized or fraudulent uh, uh, classification, you do not have to honor the dispute for a cash app transaction under Reg E and advise your customer to contact the vendor. Refuse the transaction. These transactions would fall under third-party peer-to-peer payments such as Venmo, Apple Pay, etc., and they would be considered a service provider under the rule that does not hold the consumer's account as defined in Reg E and commentary. So let me just jump in real quick to this, to more of the specifics as it relates to these uh, particular uh, claims or investigative process. The first thing to consider is the consumer or customer's claim. When the consumer notifies the financial institution of a potential error, regardless of whether it's in writing, verbally, or otherwise, the financial institution must conduct an investigation to determine whether the error has actually occurred. And Reggie has different kinds of specific time limits for completing an investigation and notifying uh, the consumer of those results. But generally, uh, the financial institution must, have, must investigate and resolve the alleged claim within 10 business days of the consumer reporting it to you. If your institution requires written confirmation of the dispute or claim uh, and does not provide it within 10 days, then the, the financial institution is not required to provide provisional credit. So it doesn't mean you have more time and it doesn't mean necessarily that you don't have to uh, complete the investigation. What it, it, what it, it makes a distinction whether it be a policy in writing or, or other uh, means of receiving a potential claim of error um, as to whether we have to actually provide provisional credit. So there's the first distinction. Next, you're unable to conclude that the, in, the, the investigation within 10 days, and that's very normal. 
So in other words, we, we receive the claim. We have to start investigating that claim immediately. Um, and we have 10 days, 10 business days, excuse me, um, in order to complete that investigation. Well, as you can imagine, 10 days is really not a long, a long time when you're talking about <laughs> uh, business days. So um, if the financial institution provisionally credits the consumer's account in the amount of the alleged error, including interest where applicable, within that 10 days of receiving the error notice, then that time frame, that 10 days is extended to 45 days from receipt of the notice of error. And therefore, they can investigate and determine whether an error actually occurred. And then lastly, once a determination has been made, the financial institution will need to notify the consumer of the outcome. And, and once again, there are very strict time frames for this as well, but I won't, I, I won't go into that level of detail today. And, and, you know, I mentioned the 45 days. Well, there's another time frame that's involved there too, which I didn't mention today. Mm -hmm. um, that has, that has to do with, as to whether it's a foreign transaction, which therefore it gets extended uh, out to 90 days. So again, I would, I, I would encourage people to take a really hard look at Reg E. Nothing's changed in Reg E, um, but uh, the FAQ certainly sheds some light on these types of uh, programs and apps. It almost sounds like, Dean, we should have a part two podcast uh, to this interesting and uh, complex topic. Uh, and I think uh, we'll let our listeners know that we probably will do a follow-up. But what you've given our listeners today is great guidance. Do you have any final words or ideas that you want to add to what you've already said about this topic, Dean? Well, I just, let me, just to just to add on what you just said, I agree. And perhaps what I'll do in the net, uh, another podcast uh, uh, is is expand on the specific timeframes for Reg E, uh, and and how critical uh, it is to meet those timeframes. But I, you know, I really don't have much more, Len. Um, I just would like to tie this all back uh, how I actually started today. So, uh, any person to person or peer to peer payment that meet the definition of an EFT. Um, is covered by the EFTA and the Reg E uh, provisions within the regulation. Thus, claims must be investigated within those very strict timeframes afforded within the Act and Reg E. Although I did not provide all those various scenarios and timeframes, uh, people need to refer to Reg E for those and understand uh, these transactions fall under those provisions and are very, very strict as far as the time frames, the documentation, the notification, provisional credit, final credit, uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, again, I encourage people to take a look at EFTA as well as the implementing regulation Reg E um, for the very strict time frames and how these do apply to your payment, to, excuse me, person to person and peer to peer payments um, as we defined earlier. Well, I think you've provided an excellent summary of what can be a complex and confusing topic, and I'm certain our audience today will appreciate your words. Well, thank you, Len, and uh, this is Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting. And this is Len Susio from GeoDataVision saying thank you for listening to today's topic, and please, again, let us know of any additional topics you would like to hear us address in future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. 
As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics. 